Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Sunday Virtual Church with Warehouse 242. It is so good to be with you. I am Mike Laurie, and uh, I'm just really, really grateful that we get this time together. And I know that um, this is a, a strange new kind of time and space for us, and I know this feels a little odd. Um, there, there are some like myself that really feel the disconnect and long to be together to, uh, to hug and high five with people. Um, and we know that that time will come soon. Uh, and for others, there's just different um, anxieties about the disconnect. But there are some in our community uh, that are probably really, really enjoying some of this distance and love getting up and going to church in their pajamas and their coffee. And so um, just know that um, we, we love you and we care for you and we're encouraged that we get to be uh, that we get to be uh, in community together, and uh, and that's for our good. So thanks, thanks, thanks for being here this morning, and we do hope that it's for our good. We have to remember a great universal truth uh, in this season, and that is that the church is people. It's not a building, it's not a, a specific physical gathering, but it's people, and it's people knit together by God, by God's Spirit, uh, that focuses on Jesus the Christ, and focuses on his word, uh, and so let us not forget that church is people. I was mindful um, of a quote from John Calvin uh, from about 500 years ago when he was talking about what is central to the church. And he says this, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, there a church of God exists, even if it swarms with many faults. And there are many faults in this kind of this new world order. Uh, just a couple days ago when we did uh, Warehouse 242 live on Facebook, um, we, we launched it live, but Facebook was crashing. There was so much use with their video and technology that it never went live and it, and it took uh, 20, 30 minutes to post. And so there are gonna be faults along the way. But there are also other faults that we have as a community. And one fault might simply just be my fast-paced, nasally northern tone that comes out and, and it drives you crazy. But in this season, it's good for us to have grace with one another. It's important for us to know uh, at Warehouse that we really, really, really believe that God is central, that his word is valuable. And God being God means that he is compassionate and just and sovereign. And his word is central to, our, to who we are. It lives, it breathes, it challenges us, it compels us. And so as we move forward in the next few weeks, uh, we want God's word to remain central. And we trust that that can happen. For the last 12 weeks, we've been looking uh, at the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. And I've loved this uh, focus of a singular book. I love the conversations that are coming out of it. But little did we know this is where we would be uh, in an epidemic. Little did we know that this would be the intersection, that we're almost done with this book and then this hits. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, should we stay in this book? Should we, should we abandon this text and maybe move into some other things? And we ask that question. But it's really, really clear that when we read the end of Mark that we're realizing that, no, this book is relevant to us. Last week, Wes did an amazing job of unpacking in chapter 12, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And of all 613 commandments, which one's most important? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now that preaches in this reality. Love God with everything that you have. Love him, find him, seek him, discover him, love him. And then do so with neighbors. And I think in this time, there are many of you healthcare workers in our community that are on the front lines that are stepping into the lives of people, into the lives of people who, um, who are sick and suffering in this pandemic. And to that, we say thank you. 
that is a way for you to love neighbors is to step in in the midst of the crisis. But for a lot of us, the way that we will love our neighbors in this season is that we'll actually step back. I can't reiterate this enough, but social distancing is an important act of love in this season. It is important for us to keep our distance out of love and honor of our neighbor. And we need to do so with great respect. And so we're all kind of navigating what does it mean to love our neighbors? And I'm encouraged that we're coming up with really, really creative ways. But now we get to chapter 13. And if at the top of your Bibles, you might have a little subject heading that tells you uh, what the name of the chapter is. And in many Bibles, it says, a sign of the end of the age. And I have to like, kind of just stop there and say, uh, you know, when I first read this and realized that this was my week to preach, I thought, uh-oh, uh, should we skip this passage? I mean, do we really want to get into apocalyptic teaching right now about the end? Do we want, is this just going to create more frenzy? Is this going to create more fear, anxiety? Should we skip it? Or, or, maybe, or maybe should I just find somebody else to preach this chapter? Should this be the week that Henry Criticos, our youth director, gives his first sermon? Just kind of throw him out there like, hey, let's talk about the end of time. Uh, and, uh, but we can't skip it. And, we, we, and we, we could, but we're not going to. Because when we read it, what we realize is that this is actually a chapter of hope, not a chapter of fear. And so uh, chapter 13 is one of the most difficult passages in Mark to interpret, at least on the surface. I mean, Jesus is talking about destruction and the end of time. He begins with literally talking about the destruction of the temple, which was going to happen um, in their generation 2,000 years ago. But then he moves on to talk about the end, about the second coming of himself when he comes back visible and personal and physical and triumphant. And he ushers in an end of time in history and ushers in a new era of life with God. And so it, it is a complex chapter. And there's lots to debate about it. Like, what is it? When is it? Why is it? How, how is it going to happen? How will I know? And Jesus is not denying the future reality, but he's also acknowledging this subject as a teacher to his pupils. He's acknowledging this as an educator trying to educate his disciples on the truth of this reality. But at the heart of what he's teaching on the subject is not when will it happen, but who it's all about. Let me say that again. The chapter is not about when it will happen, but it's about the who. It's about God the Father, the Lord, the Sovereign in this reality. Now, I know it's easy for us to ask those questions, and lots of people are doing that right now. But I really am convinced after studying this that Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't fix your eyes on the when. Fix your eyes on the who. Fix your eyes on the Lord who is good and pleasing and perfect, and his will is good and pleasing and perfect. Fix your eyes on the who. And Jesus does this in a way as he's trying to educate. And he gives a little line at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the chapter that he says, I'm not only saying this to you, my disciples, I'm saying it to everyone. So I think it's fair enough to say that his education towards his disciples is the education for us today. Now, in this 37 verses, there's like 22 imperative command verbs. And, and it's, the, it's the kind of imperatives that say, like, thus saith the Lord. They're not suggestions. They're like, these are the things that you ought to do. Not ought to do, that you have to do. And it's easy if we, we can look at them and say, oh, look, they're like frightening, scary words. Like, watch or guard. And we can look at them and think that what he's saying is, is for us to, to be nervous or anxious or intimidated. 
But if we look at it through the lens of an educator educating a, a student, let's look at some of these words. He says, watch. But, but not in a frightening way. He literally is rooting it in this word that to stand uh, like guard of the watch. Like you've been, your job is to be the watchman. You, and the valuables are behind you, people and treasures. And your job is to stand and to watch because what you're, what's behind you is really, really, really valuable. And so it's be the watchman. He says, don't be alarmed. Be on guard. Guard yourself from harm and guard and protect the valuables. And he says, but don't worry. Pray. Look and see. The idea of discerning right from wrong, truth from lie. And at the end of, uh, towards the end of chapter 13, he says, learn. One of his great, great commands in the middle of this chapter is to learn. Now, when I read all of these command verbs, I, I don't see fear and scarcity and anxiety and doubt and destruction. I, I see tremendous tenderness and care and love and hope. I see Jesus, the teacher, telling us as disciples, if you take your eyes off the when and put it on the who, then you can surrender and be obedient and understand what it means to be a disciple. I actually think this chapter is about discipleship. Now, Jesus does not deny the reality that we are living in a troubled world, that the disciples weren't living in a troubled world. He acknowledges that it, the world was going to be hard for them that they were going to be troubled uh, by their enemies, that their enemies were going to arrest them and put them on trial uh, and beat them. And, he, and he's acknowledging that's part of their story. He's not denying the trouble in the world, but he's also not saying that the trouble is the victor. He is pointing favorably to the Father, and he's asking us, uh, his disciples to trust the who? The Father, the Lord. So I think when we read this, we need to read this as a discipleship chapter, primarily. Now, in reading for this, I, I read this commentary by a professor named James Edwards. And he says this in, the book, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark. He says this, and I think it's really important. He says, in the midst of calamity and destruction, tribulation and persecution, when even the sun and the moon and the stars are shaken, the believer may rest assured that God is still Father. And the Father, as the Father, he remains steadfast in his just will, his compassion, and his purpose. Now, I love the line in the midst of that, that God is still Father. And so as a child, I need my Father to protect me in times of trouble. I need my Father to be strong and just and compassionate and purposed. And not only I need it to be true, but I need it to be true, and then I need to embrace it, I need to surrender to it, I need to be obedient to it. So this is about discipleship. So what I want to do is just, for time's sake, I want to get towards the end. And Jesus starts uh, this teaching in verse 5, and it goes all the way through 37. But at 32, he begins to turn the corner on the teaching and kind of focus in on the conclusion. And I want to fix our eyes on that. Please go back and read it. It's intense. Um, it can feel a little overwhelming. But again, read it with that lens of tenderness and hope versus fear and anxiety. But we get to the end, and, he, and this is how verse 32 and 33 reads. Jesus is saying this, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Now, the first thing he says is, but about that time, no one knows. Now, I know a great, uh, a great many people throughout history have attempted to solve this riddle of Christ's return. And there are many doing it today. 
They're, they're looking at the tea leaves. They're, they're reading the headlines. They're, uh, they're, they're, doing, they're pulling out old prophecies from the Old Testament. They're taking Jesus' words, and they're creating this, uh, um, this, this new sort of algebra uh, theologically and biblically. They're, uh, they're doing all kinds of biblical gymnastics to create this formula that declares with certainty when it's going to happen. It comes with all kinds of predictions and declarations, and it often comes with all kinds of fear. There is a cottage industry in our world of people uh, profiting off of the idea of figuring out when this is going to happen with all sorts of promises and all sorts of intellectual understandings. But Jesus begins by saying, nobody knows. It's false. And to, and to, and to run after someone who claims this, that's to be avoided. He says not even the angels know, not even the heavenly uh, beings that live with God in the forever world know. And then he says one of the most striking lines in all of Scripture, and not even the Son, but only the Father. Now, there's tremendous mystery in the line, not only the Son. I mean, on the surface, it looks a little bit like Jesus might be ignorant. And if Jesus is ignorant, does that diminish his identity? Does that diminish his, uh, his divinity? Now, there are, there are th there's lots of interpretations on what he, what's happening here. But if you read that line in context, and you read that line in the Gospels, and you read that line in the New Testament, and you read that line in the Bible, you begin to understand the mystery of Jesus. And you begin to understand the mystery of Jesus in relationship to the Father. See, in John 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and we hold fast to this union. But then in John 14, he says, but I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but only the will of the one who sent me. And so even though they're unified, there's this kind of posturing where Jesus is saying, yes, he's Father, and I'm going to submit to my Father, and I'm going to follow his will. I'm going to follow his direction. I'm going to be obedient to him. And so, yes, they're unified, but the mystery is that there's also this and sort of a posturing. And I think that uh, the mystery of God is an extraordinary thing. I, for some of us, maybe we want to answer all the questions intellectually, but maybe this one we just have to cry mystery. That it is still possible for Jesus to be fully God and fully human and say, I am so committed to surrendering and being obedient to the Father that the Son doesn't know in that context. And I think that's why Jesus is also affirming the discipleship side of this. As he follows the Father, his disciples ought to follow him, and we ought to follow them as well. Jesus is just reaffirming and reiterating the discipleship piece. But it goes on and he says this it's in verse 34. It's like a man who goes away and he leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge and each with their assigned task. And he tells at the one at the door to watch, to keep watch. So he gives this little mini parable about a, a, a master of a house who has to leave. And everybody in the house has an assignment. And one of the assignments is the watchman. And the watchman is to what? Two things. Uh, look for the attacks of the enemy and wait for the return of the master. He says everybody has a job. I think the everybody is all of us. But it, within everybody, there's a job that one person has to do and that they have to keep watch. Now, to be a guard means that you've got to train and be prepared for that. Guards are trained to do their tasks. It, uh, it takes time and effort. They have to repeat themselves. It's a lot of repetition. It's a lot of learning. But it also means being alert. And when he says you need to be alert, he's talking about discipline. 
See, the night watchman needs to stay awake at night to protect the valuables, to protect the people. But to stay awake is about being prepared and being obedient, being committed and being devoted. So I think what Jesus is saying here is that, is that this is about our commitment and our obedience and our discipline. And he goes on in verse 35 to 37, he finishes this way. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. You see, Jesus goes on to value not the fear of the enemy, but to embrace the return of the master. He's reiterating uh, not about the, the when or the what, but really about the who, who is going to return. He lists the four uh, uh, watches of the night, evening and midnight and rooster and dawn, is between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. And he's telling that person, you have to train and you have to be committed. And then he concludes and says, and so what I say to the watchmen and what I say to all the workers and what I say to everybody is this, all of you, watch. All of you need to be on watch. Now that word for watch that starts the, uh, the chapter in verse 5 and ends at the last word of 37 is where we get the name Gregory. It's the name Gregoreo. It's the Greek word Gregoreo. And it means, it does mean to watch as a watchman. It means to give strict attention to, to take heed of instruction. Because taking heed of instruction and, uh, and paying attention and watching is the foundation of discipline is the foundation of, uh, foundation of discipleship. And I think it's really important that we see this. Jesus is calling in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crisis, to shift your eyes away from the, uh, the, the, uh, the terror and the trouble and to fix our eyes on the who. And if we fix our eyes on the master and we surrender to the master, I think that's when we're going to find our freedom. Now, uh, James Edwards that wrote the, uh, that commentary I think sums up the point and purpose of this chapter even better than I could do. And so I want to read this, uh, how he finishes um, his section in this book. He writes this, But most importantly, Mark 13 admonishes readers against attempts at constructing timetables and deciphering signs of the periousia. A periousia is the second coming of Christ. And so he's saying, the most importantly is we have, to, we have to work against constructing the timetables of the second coming. He says, disciples are admonished to be alert and watchful, reminded that they do not know the time of the end, and warned not to be led astray by even the most obvious signs, for the end is not yet. No one is either encouraged or commended for attempting to be an eschatological code cracker. Eschatological means the end times. It's the, eschatology is the doctrine of end times. No one is encouraged or commended for attempting to be an end times code cracker. For this is folly. For even the son is, is, is ignorant of the end. The premium of discipleship is placed not on predicting the future, but on faithfulness in the present, especially in trials, adversity, and suffering. And friends, that is our reality. Trials, adversity, and suffering. So in this time of pandemic crisis, we can choose folly and we can play the game. Hey, I know when Jesus might be coming back. Or we can fix our eyes away from the when and put it on the who. And we can focus on the Lord, the Father, the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the God that loves me enough to come near, the God that loves me enough to die for me, a God that loves me enough to, to defeat 
um, the brokenness and the sin of the world, to forgive my sins, to restore my relationships, to call me friend, to call me son, to dwell in my heart and lead me to the everlasting. I have a choice here. I can choose the chaos or I can choose the Christ. And I believe in the season we're being called to surrender. The world is frightening, but I don't want to live in fear. The world is chaotic, but I don't want to feel out of control. The world is full of noises, but I want to hear the voice and the word of the Lord. I think that's important. So what does that look like? Well, I think it's important that we, in this kind of Greek, in this time that we're creating uh, new space for us, new habits for us, that we need to create healthy habits. And so one of the things that I'm doing is I'm reading scripture every day. Every day I'm reading um, a little bit of 1 Thessalonians because we go live at 2.42 every day on Facebook Live and we're taking small chunks of Thessalonians. I'm just letting the word of God dwell in me. I'm reading Mark every week in preparation for Sunday sermons to hear uh, from the Lord. And I'm just, I'm reading it in small enough uh, doses every day that I can just focus on a word or a phrase and let that form me. Two, I'm praying a lot right now. I'm praying out of my own anxiety, my own fear, my own shame, my own brokenness. And I'm also praying um, as a pastor for my community. I'm praying as a leader for my community. I'm praying as a husband and a father and a friend, as a son. But when I, even though the, the prayers can be a little overwhelming, I've been fixed on this small phrase from the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done. And the reason I'm focusing on that is because it makes it about the who. It's God's kingdom. It's God's will, not mine. And that simple uh, prayer of your uh, kingdom come, your will be done, is really soothing me in this time of crisis. And then the third thing I'm doing, I'm just talking with a lot of people. Taking long walks with Anne, uh, FaceTiming with friends and family, uh, lots of texts, lots of phone calls, uh, Google Hangouts and Zoom with my friends. Um, we've been doing this a lot over the last few weeks and trying to stay connected is really bringing a lot of life to me. And so I don't think any of those, health, uh, those habits um, are foreign to us. But I want to challenge you, church, uh, as one of your pastors, I, I beseech you in this season, let's surrender to the Lord. Let's surrender to the Father. Let's be obedient like Jesus was. Let's seek God with all that we have. Let's discover him. Let's discover him as steadfast and just and compassionate and purposed. Let's surrender to him uh, the who of the story, not the when of when it's going to happen, but the who, the Lord, the sovereign of the story, who is our reality. Let's change our posture. Let's be the pupil before the teacher. Let's be the child before the father. And let us fix our eyes on the Lord. Let's find our freedom. Let's find our hope. Let's find our peace and our renewal. And let's trust God that in our obedience, he will shower us with grace and peace. And that, I think, is our goal. And so as I pray for us, uh, Family Community Warehouse 242, may this God, the Lord Father, and Jesus the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, may they be our who in the midst of this crisis. And may we surrender to God uh, with great confidence and great obedience. And may our discipleship uh, be um, part of our healthy habits. And may we discover God and may we revel in our relationship with him. And all God's people said, amen.